Hey, welcome to Optimize Your Body with Martin Silva, where we talk raw, uncut facts to truly help you optimize your body. Hey guys, before we get this podcast rolling, I would like to let you know that I have some slots available for my online coaching packages, whether your goal is just to get in shape or if you were looking to get on stage and compete, you know, as a bikini model or physique athlete, bodybuilder, please reach out and give me an email at admin at optimizeyourbody.com. So send an email to admin at optimizeyourbody.com. Also, to go get your free recipe ebooks and your free training plan, just head over to my current website, martin-silver.co.uk, martin-silver.co.uk. And all you have to do is enter your email address into the pop-up box to receive. Enjoy. James Alexander Ellis. I have pro muscle model, WBFF muscle model. In fact, he actually placed within the top three in the world at one point. And I actually met James through a supplement company I used to be sponsored by back in the day. Obviously, all of you know how I feel about supplements now, but um, this was back then. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm honored that James, at the drop of a hat, was here and he's in the building. How are you going, James? Very well, thank you, Martin. Thanks for having me. Um, you've been pleased to know I feel the same way about supplements too, <laughs> um, having been through the mill a few times. Yeah, um, that's that's I was that's actually yeah, it's a good point because we met through that world, right? Through the supplement yeah. world, through through Cymex Nutrition, and obviously my concepts and my kind of paradigm was shattered in a way because I shifted everything over, you know, to actually learning a lot more about the science. Mm. So I started actually getting much better results when I started really focusing on just eating more whole foods. Mm. Uh, that's not to say all supplements are bad, mm. but yeah, when I kind of cut them out, maybe it's the artificial sweeteners or whatever it is, I kind of, my relationship with food started to improve. Mm. I started to eat just naturally going more, veering more towards whole foods mm. because I was, I guess, eating more of them. Mm. What's your thoughts on, on the importance of supplements, mate, on that, on that note? Something I've spoken about many times and obviously, you know, like yourself, been in the industry for so many years, something that we get asked constantly, whether it's just as a personal trainer, your client says, you know, what supplements do you want me to take? They assume that you're going to sell them a whole cupboard full of supplements. And even when I was taking a cupboard full, I never really passed that many on because I've always been one of those trainers that likes to let the kind of my fitness dictate my business, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. Probably I've never been a made it to millionaire status in this industry. <laughs> but um, I couldn't really bring myself to say to my client, you have to have BCA, you have to have pre-workout, you've got to have casein, because casein digests so slowly, you're going to get massive. Mm. And you've got to have whey protein and a whole other list of things. I used to go, even back then when it was, Cymex was our kind of boss, and since then I've gone lighter on the supplements and said, look, you know, protein powder, great. Um, you know, some of the vitamins and minerals that you might be missing, you know, if you're involved in, in intense activity. Never gone too much further than that, really, just because even from the start, I, I knew deep down inside that whole foods are the way forward, and you can get most of your nutrients from um, plants. And mm. you know, these days, vegans have shown us we don't even need meat to be a performance athlete. Mm. So God forbid you have to have supplements to be able to build muscle. Absolutely, yeah. And I just wanted to say on that topic, 
yeah, like obviously you were probably a little bit of a step ahead of where I was in terms of, you know, your relationship with food and what you actually knew in terms of eating intuitively, which is something I always talk about to the listeners is actually, you know, when you get to a point where you're eating based on what your body needs, okay, because we obviously were born with these signals to, to, to get us to eat intuitively, but then when you... Obviously, all the, pro- the the processed food industry kind of gets people sucked into you know buying this product or that packaged product, yeah. if you like, and it kind of takes you away from you know what what we were kind of innately born with, kind of thing, right? And yeah, I was just going to say because with the settlements, what do you with your clients? You said obviously you've always recommended to them you know to to focus on the big rocks essentially, mm-hmm. yeah, eat whole foods and because. The bottom line is, right, when you're kind of eating whole foods for the most part, it's very hard to overeat, I find, right, because all the nutrients and fiber, whatnot, you yeah. find in these whole foods. Um, but also, when you when you, when you you get your training programming, when you're training properly, obviously, you, you know, if someone's hiring you as a trainer, they've got that part covered. But those two alone, and obviously sleep, I guess are going to surpass, um, by a long shot, supplements wouldn't even come into the, uh, the equation, right, James? I would agree, and I think the problem is that we've started to, uh, well, the kind of fitness world has seen supplements as a kind of a, a quick fix or a magic pill, and unfortunately, um, we got to a point pretty quickly where, you know, guys are taking three protein shakes a day to get their protein and take up. Um, so not only is that probably not the best way to get extra protein, because it's not satiating. These products are full of sweeteners, which I'm not going to bash sweeteners. I'm a sweetener fanatic. You know, I'm probably like, I'm probably in better shape because I discovered artificial sweeteners. And that's a whole other discussion. But, um, you know, they're full of artificial things, which in the theory, like, might be bad for your body. You're not getting the satiation that you get. You don't get the thermodynamic benefit of digesting protein. And then if you zoom even further out than that, maybe we don't need that much protein anyway. So the whole um, chugging protein shakes back to back throughout the day, I mean, that was me for a little while, but I never really wanted it to be my clients. I just knew that that was probably not the best way forward. And um, yeah, I mean, we've now got this new world of convenience fitness snacks. You know, the kind of, it started with the Quest Bar like 10 years ago. And now every newsagent has got a carb killer or um, a Quest Bar or something like that. So now we're grabbing these um, high protein snacks on the go. Mm, and I always say to people, it's almost like protein has become a magical macronutrient. You know what I mean? Like, because it's got the word protein on it, yeah. it's all of a sudden super healthy. But when you look at the actual ingredient list on a lot of these protein bars and whatnot, there's heaps of different chemicals in them. And as you mentioned, the artificial sweeteners, which I'd like to talk to you real quickly about as well, because um, artificial sweeteners is kind of interesting in that the, uh, the study's gone into them, because most of them have been done on rats and whatnot. Yeah. Um, uh, the bottom line, yeah, I, go on. I find it really interesting. You're, you're in a topic that really interests me and has done for many years, so please carry on. Yeah, so... I was just going to say, you know, artificial sweeteners, we know that they can have an impact on the gut flora. There's been Most of the studies have been done in rats, but the bottom line is, you know, we didn't evolve eating them. Um, they're essentially chemicals which have been processed in, you know, a laboratory for the best part or whatever, manufactured in the, somewhere along those lines. And, you know, they, they do, based on my experience, as I said about my, my, kind of, um, my kind of journey with supplements, was, you know, 
it used to make me crave certain things personally because I obviously some sweeteners are like you know let's say hundreds of times sweeter than sugar. Yeah. And although there's no calories in them, which is what they what they get you on in terms of the the marketing, they still do have an impact because you know if something is that much sweeter than sugar, then you know people have been saying that it kind of tricks your brain into thinking you're having sugar. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting what you said about artificial sweeteners uh, helping you and getting you in shape because I can understand where you're coming from. It's like a quick fix, but without having so explain that a bit more, James. It was uh, many, many years ago. I was probably only early on in my training career, and um, I just started to gather that um, it wasn't like high or low fat that was going to dictate maybe how healthy something was. It was um, one of my friends who used to train with. He said, oh, that's full of sugar, you realize. I was, uh, it was one of those fridge milkshakes. Yeah. We all drank loads of those. I used to love them back oh, in yeah. the day. Oh, I yeah. Was, I was guzzling one one day, and uh, my, mate, my mate knew I was into the gym, and he knew I was trying to get a six-pack. And he said, so you know that's full of sugar? And I was sort of like, what? So, what does that mean? Literally, I was like, just didn't know. He said, look on the back, and it was like 30 grams. I was like, it's only 10 grams. He goes, that's per serving. And I looked up, and I worked out it had 35 grams of sugar in, or more. Maybe it was 60 grams, because those things tasted good. Mm. Oh, yeah, incredible. And then I started to realize that perhaps if I got sugar out of my diet, and then, you know, in the long run, I ended up being a real fan of ketogenic dieting, low-carb dieting. But short-term, I started to cut out sugar. But I had to replace it with sweeteners. So um, it was mostly a Spartan-based sweetness to start with. So it was like sugar-free soft drinks, um, sweeteners in my coffee and my tea. And it was just like sweetened everything. And to this day, I still have a hell of a lot of sweetened products. Okay. And I um, would see it's almost like a bit of an addiction for me. Yeah. Um, it's because I've got this voracious sweet tooth. Mm-hmm. But I think like with any addiction, if you're going to try and replace it with something rather than manage it properly, mm-hmm. like you said about eating whole foods being yeah. a better solution. Oh, it was a slow process though, yeah. yeah. Because you, once you start eating more whole foods, you appreciate natural sweetness. Definitely. You're not looking for this artificial chocolate. That's exactly bar. right, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I've got literally got a Quest bar in my bag. Yeah, Quest bars are probably my favorite when it comes to protein bars. Yeah, I find the Quest bars, we'll probably talk about this in a minute, Quest bars are a little bit less kind of bloating and, 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 and anything in large quantities, but I found certain sweeteners and certain types of bars will bloat me and screw with my digestive system mm. and the end result is not very pleasant mm. interesting so yeah how do you stay lean james all year round anyway what's your what's your secret because obviously we both managed to stay in shape all year round i've explained my story enlighten us james uh, well mine's driven out of vanity and self-obsession <laughs> to be and also since i've um i've been blessed over the last few years to be an ambassador i'm always being some kind of ambassador for some company whether it's my own business or i'm, I'm contracted to look good Mm. So having to be having to look good, so I can look good, and not just the gram, because everyone loves a bit of that. But if I have got a photo shoot not lined up, like Simex used to. They used to say, you know, we'll give you four weeks' notice or three weeks' notice. Mm-hmm. So if you had to be photo shoot ready in three weeks, that's you can't be much above ten percent body fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got to be. So I'm just mm-hmm. very used to. Um, I'd say, embarrassingly, I guess I'm always on diet. Mm-hmm. I've been out here, obviously, doing these DNA presentations. Yeah. All the guys around me are like, "Oh yeah, you're um, you're on a weird diet, aren't you?" I'm like, well, "I'm having steak and salad. I mean, yeah. it's not too restricted." But no. I like, as you know, I'm a fan of low carb dieting. Yeah, and, uh, and high fat. So I was going to yeah. come to that. Yeah, yeah. I've always been a fan of that. It always felt right for me. It, it, it was actually um, it helps me to be in better health having a low carb, high fat diet. Yeah, I don't go around preaching about ketogenic diets or low carb diets. I don't push them onto my clients, but um, I've seen a lot of personal and um, anecdotal health benefits, and also I've had clients that reported very specific things like improved sleep patterns, improved energy levels, improved skin, improved satiety 
satiation, appetite regulation. And um, but yeah, I mean, I guess the um, the staying in shape year round is. Well, when I was a kid, I wasn't in shape. So after years of searching to get that cover model physique, once you've got it, you don't want to let it go. No, exactly. It's like when you're in between competitions, in between promotions, mm-hmm. any deviation in that level of body fat is quite hard to swallow. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you sorry, sorry, How do you actually? Um, so you said you do eat. Obviously, you have adequate protein because protein satiates you, right? That's the yeah. most satiating macronutrient. Yeah. You know, you eat a decent amount of meat, from what I've seen. Yeah. And just protein in general. Fats as well. Run us through how you, because obviously, you know, for the listeners to actually relate in terms of you staying in shape, because obviously you said you have artificial sweeteners. Yeah. There's zero calories in them is the one benefit, yeah. right? So one way or another, you you, you know, you, you don't stay too far out. Like you said, let's just say 10% body fat yeah. um, most of the year round. Do you actually consume a lot of fiber and vegetables with those meals to, to keep you satiated as well as the protein and fats? Yes. Um, and actually, as you said, it's it's... It's not because I necessarily enjoy eating vegetables, I and mean, I, I do I do eat for pleasure. I'm not just eating for function. Mm-hmm. But I mean, um, I just know that when I don't have the right vitamins and minerals, after a few days of, of if I'm if I go off diet and I eat rubbish for a few days, if I haven't had green vegetables particularly, I can tell after a few days my body starts to feel mm. not quite right. And also, um, you just know the importance of fiber, and, and you touch on the digestive system. We all underplay how important that is until it starts to go wrong. Like if you've ever been constipated or you've ever had an upset stomach or you've ever had stomach pains or whatever you realize how important that little sec- secondary part of your body is definitely oh, so uh, having learned the hard way a few times in my life I make sure I keep my fiber intake high mm. and um, I'll usually get that from from green cruciferous vegetables mm. cruciferous vegetables being just oh, the listeners bro- bro- broccoli it's a, I don't know where that term comes from yeah sounds yeah like I know it's crazy it isn't sounds it sounds like a dinosaur reference. I know <laughs> I believe it's the um, it's the fibrous green vegetables but also including like cabbages mm. um, and your um, cauliflower yeah, and kale yeah, the things you, you probably want to steam before you eat them. Yeah, yeah, of course. A raw food junkie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I was going to say about that as well. About um, you touched on a good point there <clears throat> about you know eating vegetables and uh, I've actually kind of lost my trailer for you a bit but yeah no you said you obviously to stay in shape you eat the vegetables and you eat the fats and whatnot but you said you know you, you do eat for pleasure right which yeah. is what all of us do you know we, we, you've got a is a social thing but also we all like to have the mouth pleasure right the taste yeah. on, a, on, on a regular basis but as I, I've said to the listeners a couple of times I've got to the point now where I actually like to taste the vegetables right so I intuitively go for those things yeah. and that's not necessarily because i enjoy the taste of them more than having something like a pizza obviously but um i just kind of veer towards them now naturally same as yourself right so obviously you know you've connected to the fact that if you don't have enough fiber or whatever that is the the chemical compounds in vegetables you get issues with the gut and i was going to say i've learned the hard way myself i've had major gut issues in the past and i've realized that if i overeat certain things or if i under eat the stuff you were talking about you know it can trigger off those those problems but yeah talk to us a little bit more about exactly it is what you do because obviously you have to stay in shape for um, some of the stuff you do with the modeling and whatnot and uh, I know you're also you've been a uh, you know like an advanced level personal trainer for a while as well talk to the listeners to tell us a little bit more about what uh, a, the day in life of uh, you know like a day-to-day life of, of, of JAE please mate a typical day for me involves I guess juggling three different types of business um, I still do personal training and I kind of having enjoyed it 10 years ago I never thought I'd give up completely because it keeps you in touch with reality. Mm. Nothing more rewarding than 
greeting your client, watching them make progress, seeing how rewarding it is for them. So I still do a little bit of one-to-one training, not so much anymore. Um, been really growing as a competition prep coach since probably 2014, um, as opposing coach, as you well know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's had our relationship and helping people, helping um, fit young boys and girls get their pro cards is always rewarding. Yeah. But I guess what I've done over the last few years is I have tried to move myself from um, someone who's seen as a fitness competitor that is also does coaching mm. to um, the best educator and the best coach, someone that used to be a bodybuilder. Mm. So I consider myself an ex-pro bodybuilder now. Oh, awesome. So when I say that, it sort of seems a bit sad because I feel like, you know, that was my world for so many years. Yeah. And that was all that mattered. Having the sponsor was really important because that added to my brand identity. And I had many great years with Cymex. Then I moved on to a company called Sportholics. I've just finished a contract with them. So actually, I don't have a nutrition sponsor at the moment. I'm not really that bothered. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I've been moving my business towards the um, the sort of educational side. And actually, speaking of being in shape, I'm less interested in being in shape now. Yeah. It's been a really interesting journey. It's been quite fast. Um, doing things where um, the value that I give is is more informal information educational. Mm-hmm. It's so important for me to look good. I've got to look. I have to look a certain way in the yeah. industry. Healthy, isn't it? Really, yeah. it's about looking healthy. Which yeah, and I actually, I'm, I'm more interested in my health recently than. Um, than, than not, because uh, you and I will both admit that bodybuilding and fitness competing is rarely good for your health. No, no, it's there probably are, not. There are habits that you might undertake that could be deemed healthy, but a lot of negative habits as well. Mm. And uh, we don't like to talk about the kind of the body dysmorphia and the negative mental uh, health elements that affects a lot of people. Something I talk to my clients about whenever they start fitness competition, I say, look, you know what you're getting yourself in for here. Mm. And I can I can already tell by the time I've signed a client to like, a, a comp prep, I already know what kind of um, issues they might have because I'll see how how active they are on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Or I'll see that when I'm on my DMs, they're always in their DMs. Yeah, and I'm like, what are you active. doing? Yeah, what, what are, you, are you talking to? What are you? Yeah, and like, you it gets know, obsessive. Post, yeah, and you can see when people the, the more often people post, and I hope I'm not going to ruffling on feathers here if they hear this, but I, it's almost like a little algorithm. Of the more someone posts, the more regularly they post, the more likely they're going to have issues around this stuff. Definitely, because the more someone posts, chasing more, that kind of attention and yeah. Mean hit or whatever it is. Exactly, and also yeah. it shows that they've potentially got less going on in their life as well. Mm. And um, that was me for a while. I post on Instagram twice a day, every day. I would post to a schedule. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I posted once in the last four days. Yeah. And that's only because I've got something interesting to say because I'm, I'm abroad and I'm yeah, yeah. doing some cool stuff. So, yeah, it's. Um, this, this, um, there's a responsibility for the coach to try and keep their client in check. You know, I'm not a, not a psychologist, mm. but I try and say to them, look, you know, don't get too excited about what everybody else is doing. Mm. Don't compare yourself to other people, and don't get too obsessed about likes and follows and mm. engagement and stuff. Very hard. If someone told me that four years ago, I'd have been like, get lost. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I want to get my following up. That's it. That's exactly. And it's where also saying to people, look, where are you going with this? Because is this is this a business model for you? Because just having lots of followers isn't going to make isn't going to be a business for you. Mm. It might make you happy short term, like you said, like the dopamine hit and validation. But um, I mean, I spent a long time not leveraging my following properly, and it was mm. just a vanity thing for me. Exactly the same. Happy. People used to say to me, "Oh, you must be making a lot of money out of this following," and I was like. No, I'm not making any. Yeah, like what? Yeah, how could you not be? Yeah, exactly. People get it's, it's people get kind of like delusional about that, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I was just gonna. That's that's great that you mentioned that because I was in exactly the same place, you know. So obviously, I had the 
I had that one, you know, the Giles Crofter. You've had the Giles Crofter oh, yeah. photo shoots, yeah. So he um, he puts together some amazing professional pictures, and he's a he's a very talented photographer, and he also has a big following, right? So that kind of blew my following up, and then I got sucked into that. I've mentioned this to the uh, the listeners before, and as you said, I was exactly the same. So I was posting pictures every day, obviously half naked, pretty much every picture, and you get all these followers and likes, and you, you're saying to people, you're kind of saying to people, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to build a business, um, you know, online coaching or whatever but deep down I think there's more to it I think a lot of it stems that stems from insecurities in the sense right and also the fact that you know it, it kind of is like chasing attention it's the same sort of thing as insecurities but you also mentioned then about um, body dysmorphia as well right so when you have been critiqued against some of the best literally in your boots right you've been critiqued and judged against some of the best physiques on the planet right several times as a yeah. muscle model yeah and I looked at your transformation actually and I saw the pictures and it's crazy like the journey you've been on you started off doing it you know um back in the day but yeah how do you actually deal with those kind of challenges james because i have i can experience i can kind of um identify with the same sort of thing really with body dysmorphia and actually always kind of when you're chasing the aesthetics which is kind of what this this podcast is all about is the fact that you need to prioritize health. So now, as you mentioned then, I prioritize health, and that to me is a priority. And as a result of that, the aesthetics, I've aesthetically kind of developed, I've, I've actually achieved kind of the best shape of my life as a result of me really taking care of myself more. Mm. Whereas when you go down the road of chasing aesthetics and how you look, mm. it's a never-ending struggle. And I always say to people, you know, you really have got to embrace the process and not obsess too much on the progress. Yes. But yeah, talk to us a little bit more about the setbacks and, and challenges you faced as a, you know, uh, a world-renowned muscle model. Well, um, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a fast journey for me. I went from being um, a personal trainer that was in good shape to suddenly somebody invited me to do a photo shoot. Then I looked at the photos. I was like, this looks like something out of a magazine. And I was really proud about them. This is in yeah. 2011. And then suddenly um, I was being invited to do a fitness competition in Northern Ireland um, called NIFMA, NIFMA, Northern Ireland Fitness Model Association. And I didn't realize back then that being invited to do a fitness competition didn't really mean anything. Yeah. Because since then I've got hundreds of clients that are like, oh, some promoters invited me to compete at his show. I'm like, darling, that's really cute. <laughs> like, you have to pay to register. And they're like, oh, okay. It's like, it's not a golden hello. But, no. but back then I was really excited and my boss said to me, yeah, you should do it. This is Emma Brace. She was my PT manager years ago at LA Fitness. She said, you should do it. You make a great bodybuilder. You know, look at your legs. You'll be incredible. So I did this comp and I enjoyed it. And then I immediately got sucked into the whirlwind of progressing. I wanted to do Miami Pro. I won that. And I wanted to do WFF. And I won that. I got my pro card. So overnight I went from like considering a competition to being like competing on like the world championship level I was like this is crazy and you, you've been in a similar state yeah. as well so you know what it's like it's a very fast transition 100% yeah. and I guess one of the processes I went through was having a new type of body dysmorphia mm. which went from um, having like basically a perfect physique and not being happy with it yes. and, and going on to stages and like you said when you're judged so sort of like 
um, so harshly against other people that are in amazing shape, it just reaches a new level of dysmorphia. And actually, you, um, you internalize it, and it, it doesn't bother you so much because that's part of your sport is getting better. So as well as trying to fine-tune how you look and your appearance, like a sportsman will fine-tune their, their pass or their pitch or their putt, yeah. you know, we're trying to work on our physique. So it sounds like it would be really damaging to you. But actually, I uh, remember all the years of going through the motion, it was just like, got to improve, got to improve. I never really felt, uh, never took it as negativity when I got the feedback from the judge. Feedback for me in the early years was always, you need to bring up your upper body. Yeah. I was always quadzilla. <laughs> quadzilla, always like, that's right. You know, we would like to see you with more weight on your upper body. So I obsessed like religiously about building my upper body, rarely trained my lower body. I still do the same thing. I still train when I, I train less now, obviously, but when I do, I train my upper body. And so I went through that and I was able to make those gains. And then I was able to improve my placings and you get quite close to you know winning. And um, I guess the, the body dysmorphia stuff kicks in what soon as you back off from that. Mm. Because when you're at the very, very top level, and someone tells you you're not quite good enough you can be like alright but I'm pretty close that was always my mindset when yeah. I, I got third at these pro shows third at Worlds then it was like third at Europeans then third at Worlds and everyone was like oh man you must be a bit disappointed I was like not really I'm bloody proud of myself yeah, I like, never dreamed I'd be doing this like I've just won money mm. I won thousand dollars in my last three shows how many these days people do pro shows yeah and they're not winning anything other than no. a tub of protein or, exactly. or an invite to another show somewhere. That's it. So to, to be able to win at pro, uh, do well at pro shows, it never got to me that you know I wasn't quite lean enough to take the win or it might have been my shoulders that let me down Yeah. because I knew that I looked awesome. Yeah. And I, you have to sort of give you that bit of credit. You know, and, and, but backing away from that, that's when the body starts to kick in. Yeah. So I did my last comp just under two years ago now. So yeah. I'm two years off the stage. I did my last major photo shoot, my last cover about a year ago six months ago hmm. and you were planning for that to be your very last yeah or never say never is it James yeah. <laughs> you can bounce back at any time can't you you've got to watch this guy I, 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 I definitely could but it would be it would be definitely to the detriment of my health yeah 100% which, um, you know I guess that's perfect for the topic of this, this podcast definitely um, and I'm aware that health is important and actually at the moment I like being, being fit but mm. you know when I see people in my industry that I haven't seen for a while they're like Hey, they're looking at me and their eyes are saying, what happened to you? <laughs> <laughs> and every now and again, I bumped into Simon Barnes the other day. Um, oh, yeah. Judging yeah, yeah. Simon Barnes comes running up to me. For the, for the listeners that don't know, Simon Barnes is a notorious uh, London fitness photographer. He's photographed everyone. He helps everyone on their way up. He does photo shoots. There's a lot of free photo shoots and a lot, a lot of good uh, networking. And everyone's got a lot of good time for Simon. Most of us have shot with him. I've not seen him for ages. And he goes, oh, you look amazing. And he's ge- being genuine. Whereas I've had other people go, hey, mate, you look great. Now you've lost some weight. Good for you. Like, <laughs> yeah, and it's like an insult. Thanks. Yeah. Um, but Simon was looked really ecstatic. He said, you look amazing. Good for you. It's great. And mm. you're like, I was like, okay. Okay, I feel all right. Yeah, because you look you look healthier, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's probably what it is, oh, isn't it? Yeah. Your face is not, you know, like a vampire. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you know? yeah I've, I've got the happy medium between like a slightly bloated bodybuilder's face because mm. I've got my testosterone levels are through the roof, mm. or I've got the um, the diet face, the competitor, yeah, um, who is literally testosterone levels are through the roof, but he hasn't eaten for a few days. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've got the happy medium at the moment, which I quite like. Yeah. So yeah, the body dysmorphia stuff um, going through the process, it never bothered me. That was just part of my sporting endeavour. Mm. But as a as a human being trying to cope with um, coming out of that machine mm. being spat out the other side it's been a little bit harder to deal with mm. and um, I think I'm at the point where I'm like fairly comfortable with myself 
That's great. Man. Fairly comfortable. It's good for me. That's, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll take that any day. I was going to say, you just mentioned then about to the detriment of your health, right? So if you were to do another comp, yeah. what exactly did you mean? Because I wanted to talk a little bit more about like mental health as well, because we've just been talking about that and we're on the topic. Talk to us about what you meant. Like if you were to do, give us, give us an example of, you know, if you were to do another show, what would have, what would give? Would it be mental and physical or emotional? Or Talk to us. Uh, that's a really good question. And um, I think the first thing that I would be aware I would need to give on would be um, my social family and relationship time. Mm. Because um, once you focus so hard on something, which you have to do to do well in the fitness comp, nobody ever did like a half ass attempt and then won. No. Um, you have to put everything into it, like with any kind of sport. Mm-hmm. And I know that would pull away time from not only my time with my girlfriend, it would pull away time from my business, which I'm, like I said, spend all day juggling, mm-hmm. and maybe some of my family and friend commitments. And that's the, um, that's the only part that's really hard to swallow. I can take the kind of restricting my diet thing because it only really affects me. Mm. And I can take the fact that I might have to go and do extra training. It's mm. fine, but it's when it impacts on these other things like mm. family, business, mm. you can't get that back. That, that lot time, time back, back. So that's that's the kind of um, the um, one side of it, and I guess the other side would be um, there is a health detriment. I guess mm-hmm. without going into too much detail, the um, the CD murky world of the performance enhancement. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to be the first to talk about. No, I like I, I don't go into too much detail because I don't think you really need to. Yeah. I mean, um, the the murky world of the performance enhanced athletes, which is um, from experience, with all the coaching I've done in the last few years is. Mm. is much more widespread than anyone ever wants to talk about. Mm. Yeah. It doesn't bother me. It's my industry. I've, I've been that athlete and I coach those athletes mm. and um, they're not all that athlete, but a lot of them are. Mm. And um, that's just the world we live in. And I think we need to get more um, understanding and open about this mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, we can help people. It's like, you know, when people talk about decriminalizing certain drugs, because yeah. we can control it, we can educate people, and they're having it as like a CD underbelly and doing anyone any good. I think it's the same with this very wide-ranging world of performance enhancements. And we're not just talking about your traditional things that we would call steroids, but we're talking about, um, you know, we have got like SARMs, and we've got peptides, and we've, yeah. got, we've got constantly got new oh, things. Stuff you can buy on, online. Yeah. Yeah, which is yeah. probably even worse for a lot of people, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Back, back in the day, we had pro-hormones. Before my era, I had um, older friends that were always talking about these pro-hormones that really fucked them up, and, mm. excuse my French, really screwed them up and would do, mess up their skin and all sorts. Mate, for the listeners, I'm glad you mentioned that. I don't think I've actually talked about this before. Um, I think I may have. Yeah, so you could buy these pro-hormones mm-hmm. over the counter. Yeah. So I, yeah. Took them, I took them once and not knowing, not doing my research, just thinking they were, you know, testosterone boosters because yeah. that's what I was told. Yeah. And then the guy said to me, you know, they're, they're pro-hormones, but, you know, it's the same as a test booster. It's obviously not. And then I found out years later, and like you said, my skin went really bad. I stacked on a load of muscle or whatever. Um, so, like, you could say technically I've, <laughs> I've I've done that stuff, but not knowingly, you know what I mean? So, and then I found out what, what they actually are, stupidly after taking them. I was young. It's kind of like the dregs. It's kind of like the back end of the stuff they use to make the performance enhancing. Um, they then put that into, into capsules and, and they would then like release them in certain stores and then they would ban them after a few weeks because yeah. of obviously for obvious reasons so um yeah so i i um i took them and like i said i put muscle on i had bad skin um and then i realized oh wow that and then stupidly obviously i did my research after taking them but yeah. um yeah 
I can remember those days actually. You just come back to me then, yeah. but and, and unfortunately, I would say that um, the limited experience I've had with some of these psalms, um, or having worked with athletes that have taken psalms and I've heard good and bad reports, some of the more hardcore psalms that you can just buy off the internet mm. don't sound that dissimilar to some of the pro hormones in that they're kind of marketed as not androgenic mm. and they're marketed as pure anabolic. But that's only if you stick to the tiny little dose guidelines. You know, I'll say yeah. 30 milligrams a day. Well, everyone's doubling their dose. Of course they are. For sure, yeah. And then they're getting things like, you said, issues with the skin. They've got estrogen and the testosterone levels all over the place. Mm-hmm. You've got um, testicular suppression, which is also the main health um, issue with, with some of these performance enhancements. Mm. So, um, you know, moving on, I would say that um, not taking those things is obviously going to be good for your health. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, you know, people are um, taking a bit of a like, risk-reward thing. But the, the issue is that these days we're so driven, thanks to social media, mm-hmm. we're so driven about looking amazing that we won't think twice about taking a, um, a performance enhancement. And we don't want to listen when someone says to you, oh, is that good for your health? And mm. you're like, oh, I looked on a forum, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's like, no, that, that just doesn't cut it, does it, James? Yeah. And um, no, I was just going to say, obviously, I've never actually taken the proper stuff, right? But um, yeah, so there's there's kind of no cut in corners. And, you know, like I said, I, I unknowingly took those pro-hormones at that time. And um, But yeah, nowadays, as you said, I think social media definitely plays a part in people wanting to chase that kind of dream physique. And, and just like you touched upon before, you know, you, and I've been there as well, you're pretty much in perfect shape. Mm. And people from the outside are looking at you like, wow, this guy is literally, you know, it looks like his body's been sculpted out of granite or whatever. Yeah. But still, like you said, in terms Internally, um, something something still missing, right? Because yes. uh, why do you think that is? You think that's mainly because you're chasing the next kind of high, or, or, or do you reckon it's because you you have a certain area you want to work on just to look a little bit better? Or I think uh, there's a sort of cumulative buildup of uh, being dissatisfied with mm. whatever it is. It's like it happens in different parts of life. You know, it happens with wealth, mm-hmm. it happens with health, um, and certainly in, in the beauty and the fitness industry, this vanity-driven world, it, it just uh, it kind of eventually builds up to that where you are, you are never happy mm. and um, I think that um, you know a lot of people talk about the use of um, say performance enhancements in sports and a lot of people have been very blind to how it's been used in sports until every now and again you've got your, um, the people that get named and shamed mm-hmm. you've got the Lance Armstrongs of the world that take a bullet for the rest of the, the team yeah I know and, and those people then people go oh my god I can't believe he was doing this and doing that and you're like yeah but the, everybody else was as well but nobody wants to hear that bit. They just want to jump on someone. Mm. And you think, well, hang on a minute. If you're a sports person and you're a multi-million pound contract and the single most important thing to you in the whole world was improving your performance and winning that race and there was money and fame at stake, mm-hmm. do you think that a guy, if the coach takes him to the back room and says, look, I've got this new stuff and it's completely undetectable, you've got to do it. Mm. Of course he's going to do it. 100%. Any, and, any extra edge, isn't it? At that and if you apply that to a much more normal scenario where you've got a guy who's training six days a week, he's on his Instagram 20 times a day, maybe he's, <laughs> Minimum. maybe he's single, maybe he wants to be a sponsored athlete, all these things, these hopes and these dreams, and you might say to this kid, what's the most important thing to you right now? He's going to say, well, getting my pro card, or getting a sponsor, like that's all he cares about. So he's like that, a high-level athlete, he's mm. got a really big goal, and you think, right, okay, why wouldn't that person just turn and, and use um, use drugs to help them achieve their goal? And that's, mm. I think, why we're on this like kind of success-driven world, 
And we're all under the spotlight thanks to social media. So, of course, people are going to turn to drugs to do it. And it's just a question of how we manage those people and trying to educate people at the same time. Absolutely. And you said you've had a decade's experience pretty much as a trainer. Mm. So you've obviously trained hundreds of people from, from all walks of life yeah. in London yeah. there. What, based on that experience, and obviously you've done a lot of online coaching, but just for the average person, um, what is it you find people struggle with the most? Because another big kind of driver behind this podcast is looking to get people, you know, long-term sustainable results. Yeah. Now, like six out of seven people will lose a significant amount of weight in their life at some point, yeah. only to put it all back on. Yeah. And then, you know, not only do you put it on and, you know, you kind of back to square one, but then you, you know, you feel shitty about yourself and, you know, you, not to mention what it can do to your metabolism as well, obviously losing weight, gaining. So what, what I'm getting at is what are the main struggles you've found with people in terms of making these behavioral changes? Because that's what it is, right? They have to change their behaviors around food and exercise. And this has to be an incremental thing yeah. until it becomes part of their life, lifestyle. Yeah. So what are the biggest struggles you find then with most people, James? I think that um, for a lot of people, the problem is not getting the information. I think you and I would agree. There's almost too much information. Yeah. Way too much information. Yeah, yeah. And that itself can be detrimental. And this is why people will come to a coach because they want to shut out the noise from Google or YouTube or that PDF they downloaded off the internet six mm. months ago that they didn't bother to look at. Mm. Um, in my experience, the issue that we have is that um, some people, I just think, are better at blocking out the um, circumstantial, emotional, and um, sort of extra things that go on when it comes to things like weight loss. So if you'd said to your client, um, I need you to eat a calorie deficit, and your client says, right, well, I can absolutely guarantee that I'm going to stick to this calorie deficit for the next four weeks, and I'll do a fair bit of exercise, because you know that the calorie deficit is crucial, mm. and you can screw that up in, like, just a few days. And actually, you can kind of do what you want in the gym, within reason, if you just need to lose a bit of weight. Yeah. Um, very rarely can I ever look at a client that didn't get results and say, like, did you stick to this calorie deficit? And if they say yes, I know they're lying. And they've underreported, or they just haven't yeah. given me the full. Very common. I think eighty percent of people underreport, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I saw some great statistics about underreporting. Thanks to Ben Carpenter. Ben Carpenter, who's um, was a, um, a guru of mine back in the day. He encouraged me to be a PT. He was wow. my personal trainer for about uh, six months. Okay. And um, I we follow each other on Instagram. I still I still read his stuff, and he he gave some really good statistics about underreporting, which was that. Uh, People are so bad at reporting their calorie intake that um, even when they were done under like almost laboratory conditions and people were told that the results were going to be completely fact-checked against the foods they actually ate, when people were told they were going to be cross-referenced piece by piece, they still underreported. And when they were told that they would actually be um, financially um, rewarded for getting it right, so it was a financial reward, they still underreported. Really? Do you think that's intentional or do you think no. that's some of that? No, okay. No, it's because just, the tracking devices can yeah, be out, can't they? Shows how bad we are reporting, and, and, and the main yeah. thing that, that gets people is what I call blindly eating. Yeah, mindless, we, isn't we, it? We, we all mm. do it. It's where you're standing in the kitchen yep. eating a mouthful of something <laughs> as you're preparing your food. To <laughs> to yeah, we do it. We, we often don't record the little bits. I do that a lot, and I've done it so many times. And I've been recording my calories before in comp preps, and I've, I've stopped myself thinking, "No, don't put that in your mouth." <laughs> now, to some of your listeners, that might sound ludicrous. Who would want to live a life of being restrained by tracking your food? My yeah. But what I say to my clients is, look, you don't have to record your food in order to achieve your calorie deficit. Mm. 
sin. But if you do, and you do it religiously, God, you're going to achieve it much more likely. Mm. And if you don't record anything, chances are probably quite slim. If you just try and eat healthy, quote mm-hmm. unquote, you just try and reduce your food intake, or try, it's not a great, great start, is mm. it? And most people that just try to do it, they never do it. And when people sit down with me and say, oh, I haven't lost any weight, I was trying to do this, trying to do that, I unpick it and I say, right, what have you been eating? And it works out that they, um, they're overeating. It's not, it's not a very saleable concept, unfortunately. Mm. The industry doesn't like to sell that it could be that simple. Yeah. And um, I'm not a fan of, you know, if it fits your macros. I'm not a fan of calorie intake is the only thing. I do, I do massively believe that hormones play a big part. Huge and part. I genuinely believe that there can be people that at certain times can be eating a modest calorie deficit and not lose weight mm-hmm. because of other factors. And I do believe that insulin is important. Yeah. When I first started this industry, oh, I wouldn't even listen to you talking about calorie surplus or deficit. I'd be telling you it's all about insulin. Yeah. And we've got these two schools of thought now, and we've all seen the guys that have the Instagram page. It's all about calories, calories, calories. Yeah, it destroys me that. And then you've got the other guys that are less popular these days, you know, just talking about hormones and insulin. Yeah. And we, I think the correct answer is that it's it's a bit of both. It's a bit of both, yeah. Um, but um, I think in most people that are struggling to lose weight, uh, if they don't have a medical condition that they've reported to you about mm-hmm. their thyroid or they've got an issue with their um, insulin resistance, I think in most cases, if you've been a fly on the wall for the last week and you've watched them eat that supposed calorie deficit mm. they weren't doing it yeah exactly because I've, I've been like that myself I've been under cop prep conditions mm. and every now and again you know you screw it up on your own diet and you know that you've gone over your calories yeah you know you didn't do it in front of someone no and no, you didn't exactly. write it down did it, you did it on For your sure. own did it on your own did it with guilt normally mindlessly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah with guilt that's it and you, and you just like to write it off then but yeah. you said then about underreporting and you know behaviours and how people you know we struggle as humans right we're always one way or another we're always chasing pleasure always yeah. chasing, chasing that Mean it, right? Whether that's food, sex, drugs, whatever it is, right? Whatever, whatever your vice is, right? But um, what are the? Is, so that's the main. You find that's the main struggle. Um, with the training side of it, I was going to ask you: Do you find that obviously, if you're seeing someone once or twice a week, do you find the the discipline and consistency can also be an issue with the training, or is it more a case of the nutrition? It depends on the client. I mean, I think you, you get to know your client very quickly. You know, first of all, if you've got a client that's going to be working out on their own, mm. and it's the client that works out on their own in between the sessions that you don't have to worry about so much. Yeah, exactly. The person that is constantly updating their training plan or whatever. And you also have clients, weirdly speaking, some of the longest-standing clients that might be best from a business point of view are the ones that aren't really that interested. And they'll mm. come and train with you when you're available, and they won't train on their own. Yeah. And they come to you twice a week, and that's all they do, and they really rely on you. Yeah. And those are the ones that probably aren't interested in the diet. It's, it's a really interesting dichotomy. You've got these people that have a personal trainer for different reasons. Mm. And uh, my, some of my long-standing clients who've had the best relations with have been ones that have had a more casual relationship. And it's like they can afford a trainer. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's a reason to go to the gym. And they like to be pushed hard. Mm. All these things. Then you look at someone who's... Um, you know, more self-sufficient. Maybe it's um, they can't see as often, and every every session is really important. Mm. But they're they're grinding away behind the scenes as well. Yeah. I think for most people, though, it's the, the nutrition stuff is harder. And I spend my time coaching and talking to people more about their food and their exercise. Yeah. And actually, okay. 
as you, like with yourself, the more experience you get as a trainer, the more you realize that food's the like mystery for everyone, mm. and training is not the mystery. And um, you know, we can be much more certain when we tell talk to people about training. You know, as a strength coach, I was always more interested in training than in diet, and that's because there's so many like more hard answers in the training world, and the fitness, the, the strength and conditioning stuff, talking about bodybuilding, rep ranges, fine mm. types, tempos, loading parameters. Mm. There's a lot more like kind of black and white there. Yeah, so I find it easy to be black and white with my clients. You know, if you want to achieve this, train like that. If you want this result, train like this. Yeah. But when we start talking about diet, it gets a little bit kind of mysterious. That's right. That's and it right. goes back to this issue that you, you and I can prescribe something for a client. We can say, right, this is the macro split. These are micronutrients. And we give it to them. And you don't know what's going on. Once they close that door, you yeah. don't know what's going on. And even they don't know what's going on. No, exactly. That's, that's, it. that's why the nutrition stuff is tough. Definitely. And talk about actually getting people to change behaviors, right? Because changing human behaviors is so difficult, right? For anyone, whatever behavior that is, you're looking to change, right? So even to change one behavior, for example, getting people to eat more vegetables. That's always um, one of my go-tos because most people are grossly under eating vegetables and protein as well, I find, which is that's kind of an easy win, I think, for some people because they're just by throwing in an extra chicken thigh or something, you know, sometimes, or a couple of chicken thighs or an extra bit of meat, it's sometimes does the trick or a quest bar or a quest bar but <laughs> <laughs> he's sponsored by them now you James I wish I was <laughs> no, but, just a quest <laughs> yeah but um, do you think because I've, I've been doing it for about 12 years now actually personal training yeah and me yeah yeah I've been doing it for a while but literally it's only over the last few years actually since I've been in Australia where I've really changed my approach even more now where I We'll get them to just do one thing at a time. Okay, let's let's try and eat more vegetables. You're having no vegetables. Let's try and have one extra serving. Yeah. Be consistent with that. Okay, let's keep tracking and then come back to me in a few weeks' time or maybe a month's time or however long that takes for you to cement that habit in so it becomes more subconscious. Yep. So they start connecting to the fact that they feel better when they eat vegetables. Oh, I've got, I, I, that's what another thing as well I like to get people to focus on is like, you know, how do you feel? Do you now feel like your energy levels have improved and, and whatever? Then I'll bring the next thing in and, and that's how I seem to get much better long-term results for people. So do you think that is important, James? Just, um, you know, um, slow and steady wins the race kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, this concept of adopting new behaviors uh, is a really interesting one in um, kind of psychology, and it applies to um, lots of different elements. You've got the kind of um, something called the stages of change model, which is um, sort of developed through, I think, working with um, sort of addicts, but you can apply it to any kind of human psychological process like that, where you've got um, something called the pre-contemplation phase. And this is a phase where you don't even know that your bad habit needs changing, or you don't know, you don't know that you need to start eating more vegetables. Mm. And this could be as far as six months out from the point you change your behavior. What happens is people around you start to sow the seed to change, and you might be resistant. So you might have said to, to one of your friends or your family, you know, you, you should eat more healthy. And they're like, screw you, I eat how I want. Mm. And then a few months later, somebody else mentions it. So you, this is like the pre-contemplation stage. This can take six months. And then um, the next phase is called contemplation phase. Matt can take up to three months. This is where you start to think, eh, maybe they're right. Mm-hmm. And you start hearing more people say it to you. You start noticing things on the internet. You start mm-hmm. reading a bit more. And then you're into preparation stage then. This is a month out. And this is where you actually start planning to make a change and adopt a new habit. So this is the point probably where you've gone to see a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. You've actually picked up a, a book about dieting or you've downloaded a course of some kind. And we're already like months and months along the timeline yet. 
then you've got, um, I believe, the next stage. I don't know what the next stage is called, but that's where you actually in, in, uh, put these new um, actions in. And you find something called maintenance stage. And you can go around in a circle if you fall out. And it just shows that um, habits do take a long time to um, to ingrain. I think it's uh, 60 days for a new one and 20 days to break an old one. Wow. So somehow the human psychology decided that a new habit is, is harder to do than breaking. So stopping wow. something is easier than starting something. Interesting. So 20 days to actually break a habit. Yes, 21 apparently. 20, I don't know where they 21 days. So you'd actually abstain from whatever that yep. bad habit was, for yep. example, and you can break it generally within. And then you said to actually build a new one, you're looking Six, at 60, 60 days. I think it's 68 days. I mean, I don't want to get these numbers from. Obviously, it depends on the person. Mm. Um, and it's going to depend massively on do you have like a mentor or a coach or mm. you're just trying to do it by yourself? Mm. Do you have people around you pulling out, pulling you out of that cycle? Mm. We've all had clients that have gone, oh, but my friends did this or mm. my friends said that. And you're like, geez, mm. oh, my God. That's it. So, again, like you said, with information, right? Information comes from all angles and then they yeah. second guess. Yeah. That's the thing. And then when you go online as well, you look at when people go online, obviously social media. Yeah. And the, like I always say to people, you know, you've got to be cautious about who you're following as well. You got Because you can follow too many people. If you want to learn about health and nutrition and start bettering yourself in that realm, then, you know, follow maybe a few people rather than following hundreds of people who are giving you all this information. Yeah. A lot of it's going to be, you know, a lot of it is going to be bullshit, right? Because yeah. that's the only thing with social media, right? Everyone's an expert nowadays, right? Yeah. So decipher out the people... So, yeah, I was going to say to you about, you know, because obviously you now coach a lot of athletes now leading up to shows. And what I noticed when I was competing, which is something I experienced myself as well, um, I had uh, the binge eating disorder, right? So I didn't realize at the time that I had it. I knew I was binge eating, but I didn't realize I had a full-blown disorder. I was convincing myself mentally that I was eating healthy in the week. So it was okay for me to eat crap on the weekends. That's essentially what I was going James, I was going mental, doing a damage, doing a number on myself right on the weekends, eating, not eating anything nutritious, just eating binge eating, dominoes, you name it, everything. And what I I noticed when I was competing was like the amount of eating disorders I noticed in athletes um, was, and I said this to someone, was actually more, I noticed more eating disorders and and really bad relationships with food and and the balance that some of these athletes have within their life was, you know, awful because from the outside, people would aspire to be like them or look like them but if they knew what they're you know and I'm not going to mention any names and I was there myself once as well my relationships were crap I was binge eating but then I come out the other side and then I realized that actually I saw more of the eating disorders and the, all that kind of stuff with people like my, my peers if you like than I actually saw in hundreds of people I've trained yeah. in my 12 years of training. So yeah. what's your what's your take on that, James? Yeah, oh, it's a good observation. I think you're right. There's a there's a density of um, types of eating disorder within the fitness um, competitive competition scene. And, um, you know, I mean, I, from my own friends, I think I think one of my best friends was bulimic once when I was growing up, and that was one of my female friends. And I, I don't know if it's just a sort of reporting thing, so we're more aware of these um, disorders in our little network because maybe it's cool to talk about it. Yeah. And actually, yeah. when you're outside of that network, if you're looking at normal society, people aren't putting their hands up. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good I, point. I don't think it is just that. I generally think that the uh, the, the pressures and the stress and the strain. Extremes, that, isn't it? It's an extreme yeah. sport, right? It is a 
bit extreme and we kind of um, we get taught that you know we have to deprive ourselves and like as you know with anything like that if you if you really do deprive you're going to build up this, this yearning and then like you touched on you'd, you'd be planning your weekend literally I had lists you had a list and <laughs> what I would do is I would make sure that um, I would only buy it on the day so I'd go to the supermarket with an empty trolley. That's what I would do. Yeah, exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. Keep it in the house. And uh, yeah, you, you'd go, go a bit over the top. Another thing that you see is fitness competitors um, binging post-show. Mm. This is, a, this is a, a bad scenario for a fitness competitor that's um, it's like the opposite of a reverse diet. Mm. You know, you um, you go and deprive yourself. You're on low calories. Your body's metabolism is slowing down a little bit. And, you know, I'm not going to preach about... Le- leading up to a show, you mean? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, your body's in survival mode, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to preach about, you know, people breaking their metabolism because I never really believed in that stuff. Yeah, metabolic it's, damage, yeah, you're not a big it's, fan it's of a that. Great, it's a, no, uh, not particularly, uh, short-term, short-term, short-term yeah. slowing down. You can down. rebuild it. Yeah. Short-term slowing down, short-term suppression, but I think there's an easy fix to all these things, and it's sensible stuff like I started working out and eating sensibly. Mm. Um, but yeah, if you, if you starve yourself. But this um, this post-show um, binging, um, I've done it myself many times. I see my clients do it constantly. And um, I always say to them, look, you know, what you need to do is um, to be a little bit sensible, because I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. And it's by the letter. You'll, you'll binge on the night of the show. You'll binge hard. That's probably okay, because mm. you, you had space for that extra 2,000 calories, just about. Um, but what you're going to do is you're going to guzzle a lot of water, probably drink some alcohol, and um, your body ain't going to like that because you know, you've got suddenly you've got salt in your body, which is going to store water, and you've got a load of carbs to store, and you've got a load of water going through. Mm. I said, what happens tomorrow, being Sunday or Monday, depending on the show, your friends or family want to take you out for lunch, and you'll binge hard at lunch. And even if you had a dinner plan, sensible, that's gone out the window because your blood sugar's all over the place. Mm-hmm. And by that point, you thought, screw it, I'm just going to. I've worked hard for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then it's all the next day. So now just we're talking like three, five thousand calories. I said most people aren't going to stop there, but by the time you wake up on Monday or Tuesday morning, you're going to look in the mirror at yourself, and you're absolutely a bit blurry. And what happened then is you're going to look to yourself and go, "What have I done? Like it's only been I've hardly eaten that." What? Uh, and you look at your abs and like there's water there under the skin. I said it, all is not lost at this point. You can you can pull it back, but you won't. You're going to yeah. carry on probably for a couple more days. Yeah. And every, everyone does it, and every now and again someone doesn't do that. I'm really impressed. And I said, well, good for you. You know, you stopped one day in. Mm. I mean, no no one ruined their physique with one day of binging. No. Uh, but the war of attention is extreme, and yeah. yeah. And especially when they stop moving. The thing is, a lot of people go on vacation. I find that's a big. Uh, yeah. I've done that before, and that was an error. Yeah. Um, you go on vacation, you stop moving you go from doing all these steps to virtually not moving and not training i always say to people like that's a great time. i don't know about you james but going off on something else now but after training as well after a show um my response to building muscle is crazy yes. so when i go into that calorie surplus or yep. get you know the calories back in and i start lifting weights again i've got more strength and my body's yep. ready to go again i that is the best time to build muscle and some of the pumps you get and stuff did you notice yep. that at all yeah, yeah, they call it like the rebound effect. And um, I usually, if I can, I get my clients to benefit from it. I think there's a couple of things going on in the body that help us to be a little bit more anabolic. I think one of them is um, a temporarily enhanced insulin sensitivity. Because what's going to happen most of the year is you're, you're filling yourself with carbs, as the bodybuilder does. Mm. And, um, you know, maybe there's a little bit of insulin resistance can start to build. And obviously, you know, um, insulin things such a anabolic hormone, we need it for storing of, of nutrients. Mm. So um, I think when you've gone past a competition, you go through peak week and you have like this kind of like again maybe slightly slowing down metabolism and uh, I think there's been a little bit of the kind of um 
but also um, a sort of upregulation of your insulin sensitivity because you've, you've gone on, on low, low carbs, most people do. So then I think post-show, your body's got this, like, suddenly it's like a giant sponge. Um, and also, um, people tend to change their training patterns. So um, it's a bit like you go through a show, and although it's a stressful process, a lot of people are resting, they get off the weights for a few days. And most of us don't do that when we're off-season, we're building muscle. We're, like, training six days a week. Mm-hmm. But I get my clients to have um, probably the Friday off the gym, maybe even the Saturday off, they mm-hmm. compete on Sunday, and they might go back to the gym on a Tuesday. So they've almost had four days of rest mm-hmm. then, and they've been well fed, yeah. and they've probably like temporarily loaded up with fats and salt and all the things they've kind of not had that much of for a while. Maybe mm-hmm. even in their off-season, they weren't yeah. eating enough salt or enough fat. So I think the body's in a, in a prime metabolic position to build muscle, like you said. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's a good time. Take advantage of that time, listeners. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, just uh, a few, a few simple questions then. Now, really, I guess to uh, to wrap this up. So, when it comes to um, you know people training, let's just talk real quickly about training and building metabolism like long term, right? Because as as we mentioned, you know, it's one thing losing body fat, but keeping it off is yep. the battle for a lot of for a lot of the people listening now. This is not competitors. I'm just going to assume most people listening, just the average gym goer. So. I always say to people, you know, muscle, lean muscle tissue acts as insurance, right? Yeah. You know, life gets in the way sometimes. We get carried away on the weekends. Yeah. A lot of us do. I do it a lot. And then, um, you know, we struggle then to pull it back with the calories, as you said, to maintain yeah. that calorie deficit or whatever. So do you think it's important to, you know, firstly, correct training programming and training properly and, you know, building metabolism and actually fueling your body with enough calories to actually just make building muscle and strength your priority for you know uh, a decent amount of time let's just say for the best part of a year for the average person um, to actually build muscle and help them build a metabolic rate and, and keep fat off long term do you think those kind of strategies for for most people are, are effective yes they should be in theory and um, it's a very good word it uses the insurance policy of having mm. muscle I think we all learned when we went to PD school that um, your lean body mass was the main indicator of your metabolic rate mm. and that um, not only was having more muscle, it enabled you to burn a few more calories. Not as many as we um, we kind of saw, you know, the estimated extra 200 calories per to, per pound. That's been really, deep. it's like 30 to 50 calories. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a yeah. very small amount. And actually, I mean, God knows how many bodybuilders were overeating. <laughs> they could get away with it. But um, anything's better than nothing. And um, so, yeah, like I said, the insurance policy having the lean, the lean body mass. But um, what what's happening these days is a lot of trainees, um, so like you and I would have gone to the gym back in the day because we enjoyed training. Mm-hmm. And I didn't start training because I wanted to have my photo taken. Believe it or not, these days people, it's probably the opposite. Mm. They got That's exactly it. right, yeah. And it's the wrong way around to do it, but that's another discussion. But when I, when I was training, you know, I built up that mature muscle. People use that term. So, you know, you've got mature muscle on you. It takes a lot of years to build up muscle, even though we like to believe it's done in 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of years of, like, training and also, like, training naturally as well. Mm-hmm. But what happens these days is that um, you'll get a trainee, comes in, they're like, right, I want to get lean. And you're like, hmm, okay, you're pretty skinny. So, yeah, then they don't want to hear about the time invested to build muscle. Yes. Then what's going to happen is they're um, they're in this kind of cycle of like wanting to get big and lean at the same time. Yeah. You know how tricky that can be to manage Definitely, people's, yeah. people's mindsets. I always say to my clients, say, look, 
you, it's, it's always guys that want this, and I want to do it as well. So like, I want to want to get big and also want to lose some body fat. I said you might be able to do that for a short period of time. I've got some training programs that are really like hardcore, and I've seen people do that, but it only lasts for a few weeks. You know, you mm. you um, you won't maintain that. It's the law of thermodynamics doesn't allow for that. Exactly. So I think a short term change in stimulus and a, a, an amazing strength and conditioning program and a, like a neutral calorie balance. Okay. Could get you into the kind of like getting a little bit leaner and a little bit bigger. Yeah. Kind of listen to the signals in a way then, James. When you're hungry, when you first start lifting weight, eat, yeah. but eat whole foods ideally for the most yeah. part, right? Yeah, but unfortunately, um, I say once you get to a certain point, that's, that goal will plateau. Yeah. You'll either get nowhere, you won't build and you won't lose body fat, and you've got to separate those goals mm. and which one's more important to you. And that's when, like you said, the idea of building muscle to have this insurance policy mm. and, and being able to have a bit of an off weekend if you want. Mm. If people haven't done that, then um, they set themselves up for trouble, and then they, they haven't got that like uh, bit of leeway that you and I might have. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I, I've always found that um, the bigger I was and potentially the leaner I was, the more I could afford to make mistakes. You 100%. Know, you can't keep doing it, but no. I always say to people, like, no cheat meal is going to ruin your physique. No, so exactly. If, if you've woken up in the morning and told me that you felt a bit watery or heavier, yeah. it's like, well, it's just temporary. Exactly. And just like, you know, one good meal, you having, having a few good meals, you're not going to wake up shredded, right? Looking exactly. like uh, James exactly. over here with his with his slab abs. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, uh, if you do wake up and you look dry in the morning, it's all because of water levels in the body. They get tired of telling people again and again that it's just water, it's just water, it's water weight, it's water under your skin. Yeah. You know, like you woke up looking dry and you go to bed looking wet and that yeah. shows you how quickly it goes. So don't, exactly. don't celebrate it in the morning and don't cry to me in the evening. Exactly. Because it's only 12 hours apart. That's it. How do you um, basically, you know, you're juggling three jobs pretty much, pretty, not jobs, three businesses, yeah. right? So... Do you, you know, because I, I always talk to the listeners, probably getting sick of me saying it now, but I practice gratitude. Meditation is something I, I dip in and out of. I'm not as consistent with that. And these little tips and tricks have worked wonders for my mental health and my perception on things, you know, mm-hmm. like gratitude and just doing more mobility stuff, which I knew you do a lot of because yeah. you, um, you know, you squat like a boss, mate. I've got to yeah. say your squat yeah. is insane. So I can see you're, uh, you know, you put the work in with your mobility. But yeah, is there anything, any rituals like that you have to keep you on point, James? I was very much into self-development a few years ago. Actually, before I was a, um, a trainer, I was um, I was big into self-development, and I actually used to practice um, gratitude rituals. Yeah, and uh, the big one that stuck for me was the um, having an attitude for gratitude. Yeah. And um, I just internalized it after a while. It was something that I would have to practice. And um, after a few years, it just embeds into me. And I always just, I always reiterate to people, it's very easy. We live in a world where we're not grateful, mm. especially in the Western world. Mm-hmm. So the most unhappiest cultures are the Western cultures that don't practice gratitude. Mm. And we don't accept being grateful. We don't even appreciate that it can actually be a, a positive mental boost to mm-hmm. have gratitude. Yeah. And, um, you know, we like to complain that like life's terrible or work sucked or this happens to me everything happened to me and mm. it's like it's what we call like a, a fixed mindset mm. it's everything is everybody else's fault and you know everything went wrong and like no one wants to take responsibility for stuff but also realizing that um if you could roll the dice i always say this to people or to myself I'm having a bad day if you could roll the dice right now and the two options were 50 50 it could be much worse than this is or it could be much better what do you think it would likely to be if you rolled the dice and it's like probably worse right mm. more likely to be worse look yeah. at all the people in the world that have got poor health, they haven't got enough food on the plate, they've got disease, persecution, mm-hmm. all the stuff that's happening around us. So most people that I network with are healthy, wealthy, 
middle class people. Mm. Yeah, they've got no reason to be unhappy or um, ungrateful. Mm. So you plant that seed of people's head and it starts to make them think, oh yeah, you're right. Mm. It's happened to everyone. When, when, when a relative dies or if your friend gets hit by a car, we temporarily get really grateful for our help. Yeah. And we get really grateful for the fact that we're alive. And yeah. Actually, this is amazing. I've got a roof over my head. Yeah. This person doesn't have that choice. Mm. But it just doesn't last, unfortunately. Doesn't last. That's why so, you said you've got to practice it, isn't it? Yeah. Gratitude, I, I, I think um, I, what I used to do was I'd wake up in the morning and my little mantra was, uh, I used to add Tony Robbins, obviously. Yeah. And it was, um, I think it was write out and speak aloud five things that you're grateful for. Just say out loud how lucky I am to have my help. Yeah, I was doing um, that one for a bit, yeah. Yeah, and that, that really works for me. And like I said, since then, it just seems to be in the back of my mind more. Yeah. And actually, I use it as a mood booster. Yeah. Because when I'm more, and I don't think it's because I have been blessed to do loads of cool stuff, but in the last 10 years of my career, I've done so much amazing stuff. I forget all the cool things I've done, the places I've been, mm. things that people I've met. And I just I put my mind back and I think, oh, I remember when I was in Venice Beach, or I remember when I was in Sweden, or I remember when I was at the Body Pyre Expo, and all mm. these cool things. And I go, I'm really lucky to have done that stuff. Mm. And then I go, actually, I've had a really lucky life generally. And, and that makes me feel good. Mm. You know, it doesn't necessarily Great. help anybody else, but I think um, any of our listeners listening could think of things that they have been lucky to have had. Mm. And I think when it gets a little bit dark and we get a little bit angry or, or annoyed at life, mm. just think about the things that people don't have and how much worse it could be. Mm. I like that. I like that. And then finally, James, do you have, just for the listeners, the audience, you know, um, who want to optimize their health. Obviously, the podcast called Optimize Your Body. A lot of people, they want to feel good, but they also want to look good, right? So yeah. they want to, they want to, you know, maybe build a physique and, you know, perform better in general in life. So what would your, like, top tip, motivational tips, or whatever you want to, you want to enlighten us with, James, for, for people to optimize their health? Well, let's see. I mean, um, the, the best way to succeed at something is to focus on it. I like mm. the saying that um, our focus becomes our reality. And then what better thing to focus on than optimizing your health? I think um, anyone that wants to do that is in a good position these days because when I first started training, you know, I was reading articles from Flex magazine and um, that was all about improving how you looked. And thankfully, the industry has diversified a little bit over the last five or ten years and we started thinking about um, health, function, performance. And it's ironic that we've got two ex-bodybuilders here talking about <laughs> your health. And I was, it wasn't even in Remotely interesting to me was health. I'll be the first person to admit that when I was a bodybuilder, I didn't care about my health. I cared about looking good. Mm. And it just so happened that for a while, I was able to overlap both those goals. And I think by um, cutting down my sugar consumption, cutting down drinking, um, you know, many years ago when I was um, you know, a bit more like a recreational You were a DJ, weren't you, back yeah, in the day? I mean, uh, it, was, uh, it was alcohol, <laughs> recreational drugs, all yeah. that stuff. That was my life. Good times. And, um, you know, able to phase that out slowly by actually being a bodybuilder. But then I think then it went a little bit too far and it got a bit obsessive and it went unhealthy again. Mm. So if you can find that middle ground where you um, are able to improve how you look and how you perform and your health, I think that's the uh, that's the holy grail. And I think um, these days you're really, really lucky to be able to reach out and actually get um, good quality supplements, just the right kind of food. I mean, we've never had so much choice in the Western world about mm. food. It's, it's crazy. Um, you know, people say, well, healthy food expensive and you know there's a whole other debate there but 100%. Um, i think that we are very very lucky to be able to choose health if we want it yeah 
and you can choose performance or you can choose a little bit of both. Mm. Certainly, as time goes on, a little bit more health and performance focused. I've always liked to be a bit more well-rounded with the fitness, and not just mm. be a clunky bodybuilder. Mm. And if you uh, ask me this in two or three years' time, I'll probably be a yogi guru or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come back to you in a couple of years' time when you next come out here, mate. We'll be doing yoga together I'll on be the enough. beach. Thank you, like fifteen-inch arms. Then. Yeah, exactly. That's the size of my arms when I'm uh, <laughs> at my best. All right, mate. Hey, James. Thanks a lot for your time, man. I really appreciate it. That was yeah. a great conversation, man. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot, mate. No worries. Catch up soon.